how to see and share Jesus from all of Scripture, well, learn with us at the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. My name is Josh Redberg, and I'm sitting in Nate Aiken's captain's chair today. Nate will be back with us next week. Uh, we are working through the book of Proverbs, and we're on Proverbs chapter 5. I'm here with John Aiken, and so we're going to dive right into Proverbs 5, an interesting chapter, a lot of, a lot of imagery about marriage and sexuality. Um, John, walk us through this, and as you walk us through this, even talk about how you might handle uh, explaining this passage um, as, as a pastor to a church. So how, how did you approach chapter five um, from, from the aspect of preaching it? So just, if you, if you will explain it to us and also just, just add that, that, that component to it. Okay. So I think, I think just like in chapter four, I think there's kind of like three major movements in the text. The first Part is just the is him setting this up the warning about falling into sexual sin, and so he's trying to again trying to get buy in from his son. He's trying to get his son to listen to him, and he's he's warning his son about this um, this forbidden woman, or it, it could be translated a strange woman or whatever, whose lips drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Um, but that that if you embrace her, which is, again, embrace sexual sin, then it's going to be destructive. It, it, it's going to, your her feet go down to death and yeah. and so on and so forth. And so he's saying, stay away from her. Um, don't do that. Now, I know we've, we may have broached this just briefly in previous podcasts, but she is going to be um, a character that's, that's figures prominently in the next several chapters. Um, Two groups of people that the Solomon warns his son about is the his peers, a gang of peers who who wants to you know be violent and and steal, and then and then and then he's warning against sexual sin here with this this foreign woman, um, strange woman, and so eventually we're going to see that she points to woman foolishness herself. We'll see that in chapter nine. Um, same things are said about woman foolishness in chapter nine that are said here about the strange woman in chapter five. But so the, so he starts off with this warning, and and again, I mean, proverbs and wisdom is a lot about about words and and buy in and who you're going to listen to and that kind of thing. And so the woman is a is a rival to the father. And so you know you got a young man. Yeah. Who's he going to Who's he going to listen to more? Are you going to listen to his his dad, or is he gonna, you know his parents, or is he going to listen to uh, this attractive young lady that he you know is is appealing to him? And and so he's so the the lips drip honey. Um, is is referring obviously is a is a it's a metaphor referring to her speech. Okay, now I'll get into just briefly. You talked about how to preach this to a congregation. Um, scholars will say that lips drip honey is a is most likely a double entendre, and so. It can at one le- it, 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 the main level it's referring to the smoothness of her speech. It can refer also to the sweetness of a kiss with her. And then, as, you know, as a podcast, there's others who say it may be a triple entendre. I'll just leave that where it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, when you are preaching it in a 
in a like Sunday morning gathering is not, you know, you're not like at a men's conference or, you know, if you're the youth group or whatever there, you obviously want to, you know, attune yourself to the audience that's your, that's there. And you want to do your bit, just like you do with our children, right? You want to communicate truth at a level that's most appropriate for the group that you're with. And so I, there's very explicit imagery in this text. Um, some usually I'll just hint that, Hey, this is, this is really, really, um, you know, uh, sensual language. I'm not going to get into all the specifics. You want to study that on your own. You're, you're welcome to, I encourage you to, uh, as a couple, but, um, I'm going to, you know, just try to try to be very, um, general here on the things that may be more of a PG 13 or R rating. But so you, so you first have the the warning and then the consequences if you don't listen to the warning. And so here's the things that you're going to lose. Um, you know, you're going to lose uh, honor. You're going to you're going to lose potentially wealth. You're going to lose health. Uh, you're going to experience regret. You're going to experience shame and embarrassment um, in, in front of other people. And so uh, so then so the one's the warning to it's he's talking about. Uh, the consequences that will happen if you don't listen to him. And then third movement is him pointing you away from the negative to the positive. And so he's, so he points you to the the glory of God in marriage and, um, and is saying, you know, be, be, uh, you know, romance your wife and, and be satisfied with her and pour your energy in there rather than pouring your energy into something that's going to destroy you. And, um, and so that, that, those are the three major movements. And so it's, I mean, it's, it's very similar in kind of makeup to what Paul does in first Corinthians six and seven, where he says, Hey, you need to avoid sexual sin. Why? Because every sin a man does outside the body, but somebody who sins sexually sins against his own body. And then chapter seven, he points to, uh, to marriage and to, and to say, Hey, don't deprive each other. And, and, you know, except for a time by consent and, and these kinds of things. And so, so it's a, it's a, it's a very masterful, um, you know, means of instruction to say, Hey, here's the negative, but we know the negative itself is not enough. We've got to point you to something mm-hmm. positive. You were made to be, most people were obviously Paul in first Corinthians seven talks about the gift of singleness. Most people were created to be married and, and, and to experience this in the, in the, in, in the, in the covenant of heterosexual marriage. Before we dive even deeper into chapter five, I know a lot of people look at five, six, and seven together. Um, maybe even they're tempted to teach them together. How would you handle that specifically? Because in chapter six, we'll look at that next week, but there's these three or four other short sections about other issues. Would you preach five through seven as one? Would you look at them individually? How, how would you handle it? I, I did preach five through seven as one when I did this a few years ago. I preached when I preached through the book, I preached five as kind of a one-off sermon in, in different places when I'm teaching young people or in, in some context, but yeah, I, I took all of five through seven and then we kind of did a, a sermon on six, one through 19 to, to pick up the things that we were missing. But because in chapter five, again, and it, it may not be what we, what we think, but a unfaithfulness, like like literal like adultery 
typically for men, at least Solomon's saying, and, and, and I think experience can bear this out because a lot of times you see guys who have, who, who have affairs or affair, commit adultery and it's with, it's with women that aren't more attractive than their wife or anything like that. But it's, so what's he saying? It's, it's words, it's, it's, it's mm, flirtation. Yeah. It's, you know, that communication, these kinds of things are what draw a man's heart away from his spouse. But in chapter six, he does mention, you know, lusting after her beauty in your heart. And so, so attraction is another way that men are pulled away from, from purity and faithfulness. And so, so I picked that up in chapter six, when I'm talking, when I walk through five through seven, I, I kind of say, hey, okay, here's the warning. And then, and, the, and then here's how, here's how this sin works. It works through communication and attraction. Uh, and then here's the consequences. And then and in the consequences section, I'll also pull in chapter seven, where it's just this whole idea of of an ox going to the slaughter and so forth. And just like how stupid, you know, yeah, that the you, end of chapter seven. Yeah. How stupid is this kind of sin um, and, and, and how stupid to throw away your marriage and your family and all these things for for nothing, you know, for 10 minutes, maybe of. Yeah. of pleasure or whatever. And then, and then I'll go to at the end of the positive. And, and so when I go to marriage, I talk about marriage, both at the horizontal level in terms of human marriage, and then marriage is a picture of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I do five through seven. Well, that makes sense. And that sort of leads us into the next section, which I was going to say, this isn't the easiest passage necessarily to, to go right to Christ with, um, mm-hmm. particularly when you think about how direct it is about marriage and sexuality. So you've just mentioned one way you get there. Explain that a little more. And if there's some other ways you'd you'd go to Christ out of chapter five. Yeah. So so um I just talk about the antidote to sexual sin is is marriage. Um and that that's that takes place at a vertical level and a horizontal level. And so, at the horizontal level, he just he says, "Be satisfied in your spouse," right? And he's using um, very aggressive—not aggressive is not the right term, but but very explicit language, like you know, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love, and then the drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. I mean, I personally, I think that's talking about. Um, Again, we're, I don't I don't know that any young people listen to our, our podcast, but like, it's it's just very like it's talking about more than intercourse. I'll just say that, and so um, and so it's like very like just hey, um, this is to be enjoyed in an exclusive relationship um, with your spouse, and so intimacy is found in exclusivity, mm-hmm. and I just I just I walk you know I walk through that, um, and then vertically. Ephesians five tells us that that marriage ultimately was created to point us to the relationship that that Christ has with His church, and so yeah. when I when I'm attacking this kind of thing, it's like uh, your marriage and your your um, your relationship, your future relationship with a spouse if you're not married now, or your relationship with your spouse now is preaching the gospel. The question that you have to ask yourself is: Is it preaching the real gospel, or is it preaching a false gospel and the real yeah, gospel um the, the 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 bridegroom doesn't forsake his wife and you know 
try to go get his somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. No, he lays down his life for his bride. And, and so I, so I'm just, I'm really trying to get them to preach the gospel themselves in, in terms of, okay, why would you, why would you do this? Because you're, 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 you're um, preaching false things about Jesus by the way that you're, um, you know, the way you're betraying your wife here. Yes. Yeah, talking about um, the, the sort of intensity of some of the images, the fact that they're poetic, how would you, I mean, would you recommend to pastors that they need to explore all that poetry publicly? Or is that some of the, I guess I'm sort of telling where I'm leaning. It seems some of the intention of sharing some of these things poetically is to leave them sort of shrouded in a, a little bit of mystery. Um, some of the images, some of the um, illusions versus getting up there like almost like a math teacher, biology teacher and saying like, okay, this poetic line means this concretely. Yeah. Isn't some of the beauty of using poetry, the fact that you can leave it poetically? Yeah, I think, I mean, and you think about the um, the highest, I guess, or highest emphasis on this kind of relationship between man and woman in the Bible is in a song, right? The Song of Solomon. And so, yeah. And so that's also very poetic. Now, I think it's communicating some very, some obviously very real literal things. But, but yeah, I, I, I think the danger here, and and for generations, I think the church had one had had. If you want to think of like, my dad always used with us the idea of a, of a football field, which you know communicated well with us. You have you have boundaries, right? And so you have you have out of bounds, you have out of bounds, and and then there's a, there's a big playing field. Um, but out of bounds before, I think we fell off into the area of the church didn't want to talk about this at all. And yeah. so that was, that was not, um, as my youth pastor, Jimmy Scroggins said growing up, you know, if, if you don't talk about this with your kids, then you're going to let them be discipled by at the time television and peers. And he's like, I don't think that's, I don't think you're going to like the results of what comes as a, you know, with that. <laughs> and so yeah. we've got to talk about it. On the other mm-hmm. hand, I think in recent years, we've seen places where preachers and so forth, the other boundary, talk about it in too explicit a detail in ways that I don't, that maybe are sensational and can draw a crowd and, and whatever, but aren't really necessarily helpful for marriages. And so I think we've got to avoid either extreme. So the week you taught this, John, did you put a bed up on the roof of your church and stay <laughs> up there No, the entire no. week? No. Because I've heard that's effective. Apparently. That, that, that some people say, I guess. I don't know. Um I would so, have had to I would have had to fight against the divorce passages if I had attempted yeah. that. That would not have felt cherishing for your no. wife to no. do so. So this follows chapter four and the issues of the heart in thinking about sort of Christ connections, gospel connections, that we, we've used the phrase, that old Puritan phrase, the expulsive power of a new affection before in talking mm-hmm. through Proverbs. But it seems like that's some of what's going on here too, right? That he's not, he is warning them about physical actions. He's also warning them about uh, temptation, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But his warning really isn't primarily about that. It's about mm-hmm. the heart yep. and the need to have a heart that loves and cherishes your wife in intimacy with her over this idolatry of a, a forbidden woman. 
Mm-hmm. So it seems like that's another way to both tie chapter four and five together, but also lead the lead the the people to thinking about Christ and the gospel. And he and he uh, uh, yes, and he make in chapter six he makes this more explicit. I think it's it's more explicit in the Hebrew than it is in the um, in the English because in in chapter six verse thirty two he says he who commits adultery lacks sense, and literally in Hebrew the phrase is lacks heart that doesn't wow. doesn't have a heart uh, within mm-hmm. them. Um and so absolutely again I think it's it's a both and right so it's going to take a trans transformation of the heart and then and part of that's going to be you dealing with lust in your heart and and trying to fight it and again taking thoughts captive and and those kinds of things but then um you know it that needs to be transformed um and then and then you're able to point that desire in the right direction, which is what he's, what he's doing with marriage and saying, um, as, as Trimper Longman said, the best, the best defense against sexual sin is a strong offense. And so that, again, as sports guys, we can appreciate those kinds of analogies, but that's so yeah. So I, I think, I think that that connection is made, uh, clearly in five through so seven. So you like that analogy better than defense wins championships, which seemed less exciting. In the in NFL right context. now, I know it's it's more it's more like hey, as uh, if Patrick Mahomes can be on the field for 13 minutes, that's all you know. That's all we're going to need, right? And so, uh, offense is winning the day on the TV ratings. So that's what we're that's what we're ruling things for. <laughs> that's good. So when you when you look at chapter five, if you were preaching it, you have this warning about temptation, and you have then this positive view of marriage. How would you divide it up time wise? Do you think? Just this sort of off the cuff, would you, because you know what's coming in chapter six and seven, would you spend more time on the, on sort of the positive view or 50, 50, how would you handle it? I would, yeah, I kind of would do 50, 50 because I think, I think the negative, um, I think the negative of the consequences sets up. So whenever I do this, uh, when I do the consequences thing, there's a there's a great article. Uh, Garrett Kell wrote an article years ago for the Gospel Coalition called "Envision the End of Your Sin," and he he walks through the scenario of, of a man who's who's committed adultery and has been found out having to confess this to different people in his life, confess it to the elders of his church, confess it to his wife, confess it to his parents and his in law, and just how devastating that kind of conversation would be. And I think that's something of what yeah. Solomon's wow. doing here. And so I, so I typically want to spend some time there because, because I just want guys to like, no, it's not worth it. And then, and then point to, okay, that's why you've got to, you know, that's why you need to put in some, some effort here. That's what Solomon's pointing you to. So, so yeah, I think, I think I would, I would just divide it up evenly, probably. That's great. So we've been thinking about application um, throughout the whole passage. It's really, I mean, if it leads to that pretty naturally with relationships, But what are some specific ways that you would apply this uh, on a Sunday morning if you were preaching it? Yeah, so when it comes to uh, the warning itself, uh, I mean, I would just talk about how communication can um, can be deadly. So again, this idea of an ox going to the slaughter, he doesn't think, he just thinks he's going to a meal. He doesn't think it's a big deal, but it is a big deal. And so like when you, men are suckers for flattery. And so if you, if you're like, man, I, I can't wait for this office party because this this lady's going to be there and she's easy to talk to, or 
you know, the wife is like, man, he laughs at my jokes and my husband doesn't laugh at my jokes. Or, you know, I love, I love going to the gym and getting to run into this certain person and, mm-hmm. and, uh, or you, I want to reconnect with somebody on Facebook that I've not, you know, connected with in years. And we just, what's the, what's the big deal if we just start, you know, on messenger sending occasional messages back and forth to each other. It's not really that big a deal. It's harmless. And then like you, you wake up one day and your marriage is over and it's, it all started with what you thought was just harmless communication, but, but you weren't guarding your heart. And, um, and so, so I, so I talk about that. I talk about that with, with, with teenagers, like, um, it's communication, right? Guys trying to convince girls to do certain things or, or whatever. And, and, and it's like, that doesn't belong to you, you know? Um, and so the whole, if you, if you, if you really love me, then, you know, so I, so I'm talking through like words and, and how that, um, can pull people into, um, into sexual sin. And then on the temporary consequences, uh, I, I used before, cause this whole idea, again, you're going to waste your time. You're going to waste your energy. You're going to waste your resources. I mean, there's no more bigger time waster than pornography, um, with, with so many, with so many men. And, um, and you're gonna lose money. So like alimony, child support, whatever, um, could lose your health, you know, regret lost reputation. But Toby Keith is a country star who had a song, um, about that this man who had lost his family. And so he's driving through his old town and he's driving past the house that he used to, to live in. And, and the chorus is that's my house. That's my car. That's my dog in my backyard. There's my kids. That's my wife. Who's that man who's running my life. And, um, uh, so just, just thinking about, man, you could, you've got a lot that you could lose, uh, that you could lose here. And then on the, on the positive side with marriage, you know, just trying to think through, um, just practical things of, of, you know, trying to encourage, uh, people to, you know, all the things that preachers do date nights and encourage date nights and, you know, getaways without the kids and, um, all, you know, just some of those kind of just practical things without being over the top. You no, know, but so that, those are some ways I applied it. Any ways that you've thought through specifically speaking, um, in application ways to the, to the women in your church, because it's easier for us as preachers, we're coming from uh, a biblical perspective that, that men should be preaching on Sundays in churches. It's easy for us to think primarily of like how a man views both the temptation and also the privileges, responsibilities of marriage. Any way that you would suggest to pastors uh, to think through this from applying it for the women in the church, not just for the men? Yeah. So one of the, one of the ways that I did that in this sermon is to talk about, um, to talk about like romance novels and, and romantic comedies and that kind of thing where it's not just like with the guys, I'm like, you're, your standard of beauty is not some external criteria that you have. That's like some ideal. And then you're seeing if your wife matches up to that. That's, that's not biblical. Your standard of beauty is your wife. <laughs> that's what, yeah. And, and so, and then for, for girls, like it's like your, for ladies, it's like your standard of what it means to be a man and romantic. doesn't need to be the, the, you know, some guy that some, author, you know, you read this book and he's like, Oh, he's just, he's all these things that my husband's not. I'm like, when you start to start to read these things or watch these things and have those, those kinds of thoughts, that's leading you down a path towards 
destruction because all of a sudden you're it's creating within you dissatisfaction with with who the Lord's given you, and so you've got to fight against that. I'm not saying he's perfect, um, but but you've got so so I so I do tackle some of that in the in the ways that we're led into, um, in the ways that we're led into unfaithfulness. So because again, like with with men, it can be flirting or whatever. With with I just remember, I mean, a lot of this stuff comes from what my youth pastor taught me and my dad taught me as a kid. But but it and and some of this is maybe changed culture a little bit. But it's like again, all this is coming from communication, right? So so one of the things that he would say is that that especially among young people, um, is that women, young ladies and, and young men, that the young ladies trade real sex for fake love, and so the guys. Saying I love you, I've never loved anybody like this, yeah. and and uh, and and he's getting what he wants, but she's not getting real love uh, from him, and and so that, so I talk about those kinds of things as well, um, and, and so yeah, I think we've got to we've got to work to 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 you know to to really try to encourage both sides of the equation. One last question before we wrap up the episode, but how do you guard against making a good marriage? idolatry. So, right, it'd be possible to take that last half of chapter five and it's like, well, if you'll just invest in your marriage, you'll just do that, you'll just do that. You can give the sense like, well, everything will be great. You'll be totally satisfied, but you can easily put too much weight on a marriage, mm-hmm. right? That that a marriage, even a good marriage can't sustain all of our hopes and dreams. So maybe just, just say something to that. How would you protect against um, almost idolizing a good marriage. So not just a goal, but almost yeah. an idol. That's why, that's why I, I follow that up at the end with the vertical piece and just saying, Hey, listen, well, your, your marriage is supposed to be pointing to something greater than, than your, than your marriage. And it's, it's pointing people to Christ in the church. And so I think if, if we keep that focus of, um, I love the the idea and I know it's, it's a, you know, People have used it. I love the idea, though, of the like. The, have you ever seen the triangle that has like a husband on one side, wife on the other, and then and then Jesus at the top? And it says, "You grow yeah. closer to Jesus, you you grow closer to each other." Um, but that's what I'm trying to do is like is like, hey, this is pointing beyond you to something else. So even simply what we're doing here, which is Christ-centered preaching and interpretation, protects from that type of idolatry. Like yeah. you could preach this passage in a very moralistic way that actually has people pursue a healthy marriage and it ends up crushing them because it can never, it can never fulfill their deepest longings apart from Christ. Yeah. Last thing, last thing I'll say on that, on that is so one of the ways I do uh, uh, another way that I, in this text that I pointed to Christ and I do this at the end because I'm trying to give hope to people who, who have messed up and, and have, you know, that this, this idea that uh, Solomon says that those who, um, go after her that her feet go down to death her steps follow the path of sheol she doesn't follow the way of life um and so forth i i just talk about how hey there is you know the son uh of solomon the greater solomon he actually not only did he not fall for the strange woman but he actually went into death on behalf of all of us who have sinned sexually mm-hmm. and he came yeah. back out the other side and so there's um, he took the punishment you deserve. He's, he, he offers vindication and forgiveness and righteousness and a new chance if you'll, if you'll come to him. And so I, so I end with that because I want to end yeah. with hope for those who are hurting. Well, and it's very Christ-like, right? We see that 
picture in the gospel so often of those who surrounded him or those who had failed um, mm-hmm. in these areas. So thanks, John. Um, yeah. What a powerful chapter, Proverbs chapter five. Thanks for listening to this episode of Christ Turning Clear. We'll be back next week with Nate. Uh, we'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com. And please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.